Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series in the book of 1 Corinthians called A Better Way. We're learning that the letter Paul wrote the church in Corinth shows us a better way to be God's people in this world. Thanks for joining us. The captain of the ship looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told his signalman to send a message, alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, a return message was received, alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a seaman, third class Jones. Immediately, the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear it would evoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. (laughs) I, I read that story because... The subject we're going to talk about today is one that brings all kinds of pushback in ourselves. And there are times where when we read some of the things God says, we want, instead of submitting ourselves to altering our course, we want to say to him, alter your course so that it fits me. And he just wants us to remind us that he is the only one that can really guide us. And so we need to grow in that relationship. And today, I want to talk to you about sex and the body. Why? Because that's what we come to next in 1 Corinthians 6. As we've been talking about, we try and make our way through different books of the Bible in part, not only so we'll grow in our understanding of what God says, but also so that we don't just pick certain hobby horses that are easy for us to talk about and avoid maybe some of the more challenging subjects. And would you agree that sex and the body is a subject that's pretty in our face every day? So I want to just talk to you about how the Apostle Paul went at this. In fact, it fascinated me this week as I got a chance to study this passage. And I want to just say thanks again for the privileged opportunity to be one of your teachers, the, the honored time you give me to look at the Word of God. And hopefully, again, as we look at this today, God will feed you from His Word. But I want to remind you that part of what it means to be a growing Christian is that we are growing in Christ-like character and not just image. Character means that when you and I are miles from this building and no one else is around, we still make certain choices motivated from the inside that are a want to instead of a have to, that are a get to instead of being made to. And there's a completely different spirit when you notice that a person is doing something because they want to, because they've been changed in their imagination. And that's what God's wanting to do. So if you're following along in the notes, here's some of the things we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20 today. First, these Corinthians had false views of freedom and the body. These Corinthians had false views of freedom, Christian freedom, how to use it, and the physical body. 
Now, uh, the reason I read this story about rationalizing or about trying to change someone else or change God is because when, you, when we read through some of this today, you're going to find yourself wanting to rationalize like I found myself doing, and you're going to find yourself wanting to say, no, 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 I don't want to alter my course. Or why doesn't God alter his course? And you'll find yourself thinking that. If you think that, there's nothing wrong with you. That just means that you're finding yourself coming right up against what God's saying, and he's wanting to speak to you, okay? But notice this, that Paul, here's what's fascinating to me. What Paul does is rather than just going, sex is wrong, 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 wrong. That's not how he's approached at all. He says to him, he goes, look, There's something that you don't understand that if you do, it'll change the way you look at sex and your body and everything, and that is God's glorious plan for your body. So if you're following along, Paul holds up God's glorious plan and purpose for our physical body. Now, the reason why this is important is because in Corinth, as I told you the very first week, Corinth is so much like our time today. Uh, every, almost every corner there was a temple to the different gods. So when seamen would come in uh, from the different ships and spend time, or people traveled through this city because it was very much a travel route, when they would come, it was like Las Vegas. They were looking for ways to gratify all their pleasures. And so what they would do is there was temples uh, to Aphrodite and all these different gods, and they mixed worship with sex. So there were hired, at one time, the temple of Aphrodite in Corinth had a thousand prostitutes that were ready at any given beck and call for people that wanted to pay for that. And so these people had lived in a city that was dripping with sex. It was on every corner. Now it's on every channel. Now it's on every advertisement. Now in our country, we just, it's, just, it's, it's been made to be the answer to everything. It's like if you don't want that, then what's wrong with you? So, again, we want to talk about this subject. Now, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 20, and again, why why do we want to talk about the body? Because eight times in these verses, as I was studying, I noticed that it talked about the body, body or bodies. And the, the, the Corinthians had a certain view of the body that I told you was wrong. And Paul is going to say, oh, here's where some of your problem is. You just don't understand what your body's for. If you did, then you would understand even then how to look at sex healthy and the right way. And so he talks about that. In the letter to 1 Corinthians, actually 46 times he uses this Greek word for body, soma. And so we're going to talk about that today. But before we do, why do we need this message? For some of the same reasons the Corinthians needed this letter. Because we find ourselves easily saying, we've been so exposed, so desensitized by our culture that now we just have some wrong views about our freedom and how to use it and the body, and we need God to renew our minds. We need him, but there's going to be rationalizing or justifying things maybe rise up inside of us. And so part of being a growing Christian, not a shallow Christian, is to learn how to live a surrendered life rather than an unsurrendered life. So let's pray that God helps us this morning. Now, Lord, this subject affects every person differently and in many ways the same. But I pray 
for your grace. Thank you that you came to redeem us. You came to help us look at this world with a completely different imagination. And I pray that by your grace, your spirit will speak to us and help us see it today. In your name we ask, amen. Okay, so I'm going to read, starting in verse 9, where Steve uh, mentioned last week, and uh, then we'll uh, eventually get to verse 20. Uh, When you see the first gray box, it's actually part of 1 Corinthians 6, 13. I accidentally put 14, if you want to correct that, so that, you know, if people see your notes, they'll know you're smarter than I was. And then also the second gray box is verses 19 through 20. I'll give you cues so we can read out loud together. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom or the reign of God? Do not be deceived. You know, I've always thought, why do they say do not be deceived? You know why? Because it's so easy to be deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Paul is saying, you know, when I came and introduced you to Jesus, he did something miraculous in your life. That used to be your identity. That's not your identity anymore. Christ has given you a new identity. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God, he made you new creations in Christ. So now, what he's going to do is he's going to actually mention several of their arguments that evidently they're making for still continuing some of the practices from their old life that they had been used to before they met Jesus. And here's the first set. And by the way, some of it has enough truth to it that he tries to make sure he addresses it. So they say, I have a right to do anything. In some of your translations, it says, all things are lawful for me. Some of your translations say, all things are permissible for me. Now that I'm in Christ, I'm free. And Paul had taught this in Galatians, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The question is, what kind of freedom, and also, what's the freedom for? So he says, okay, if you want to say that, that you are free and you have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Did you see that? I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is helpful. So there are ways that you could use your freedom that won't be beneficial or helpful to you or to other people. And then, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, you and I can actually use our freedom in such a way to go back into being mastered again by something other than Jesus Christ. There are so many different ways to get addicted to the wrong things, isn't there? He says, so just know, freedom is not just to experiment any way we want know that you could be mastered by some things. So make sure if that's how you feel about your rights and your freedom, that you understand that there are limits to that. It's not freedom to sin, but freedom to sin no longer. Freedom to now do what God made you to do. Uh, Years ago, I was uh, struggling with some things and I went to a counselor. And I was telling him some of the thoughts that was going through my mind and what I found myself drawn to and all these different things. And he looked at me and he said, You know, Jeff, now that you're in Christ, you don't have to act on those things. And I remember thinking to myself, huh, that was like so basic and yet so freeing to hear that. And Paul's just saying, okay, 
if you're into freedom, know this, that you don't, now you're free actually to live differently than before. You always would gravitate towards that and had no power to choose differently. Now you do, okay? Verse 13 says, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. This again was an argument and it said, well, you know, food was made for the stomach, the stomach was made for food, uh, and besides, God's going to destroy them both. This idea was, is that the Corinthians were affected by Greek philosophy of the day. Plato, the famous philosopher, had said the body is a prison. The body's temporary, the body's dispensable, the body does not matter that much, okay? So, He's speaking to this. They also were saying the body has appetites and therefore you should do whatever the body wants. And he's saying, uh, let, me just, let me speak to that. And so let, let me read, ask you to read with me the rest of verse 13, if you would, please, in that first gray box. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now would you read verse 19 and 20 with me, please? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, I just want to remind you, this is written to Christians. This is written to people who, when they heard the good news of Jesus Christ, they surrendered their lives. They yielded their lives. They said, Christ gave his life for me. I want to give my life to him so that now he can do whatever he wants to do in my life. And I believe that as I put my trust in him, and relate now to him with this new relationship that he can change the way I look and do everything in life, okay? So now here's what he says. Here's what I want you to remember. And he's gonna say four times in this, if you didn't notice, do you not know? He's not saying, are you dumb? He's saying, do you know this? Not just in your head. Do you know this where it's a conviction of yours that there's an urgency for you to know this because if you don't know this, it'll hurt you. So do you know this? And he's going to walk through some of these things. So here it is. Six things that he wants them to know about God's glorious plan for our body. Before I tell you this, I just need to say this real quick. I think I've mentioned this before, that sometimes you'll read about the the plan of salvation that God has for us in little tracts or different readings. And many times you'll see some tracts that start this way. All have sinned and missed the glory of God. Or it'll say, you're a sinner. Okay? I have no disagreement with that. I have seen evidence of that in my life every day, okay? I don't have any problem with that. Here's my problem. Why start with that? See, you and I would never understand that we're sinners if we don't understand what we are originally made to be. There's no way to understand the deviation. So here's the good news. God actually made us for a good plan. 
And that's why sin is a deviation from that. And when we understand that, it's powerful. So Paul takes them back and says, look, you need to go all the way back to creation, why God made you. He has a glorious plan for your body, no matter what Plato says. He's wrong. God has a glorious plan for your body. Here it is. First, if you're looking at number one, our body matters to God. It was made by him and for him, okay? So notice that from verse 13 in that first gray box, the body is made is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. That's what it was meant for, always. You were always made to be in this incredible relationship like Adam and Eve were when they used to walk with God in the cool of the day and have meaningful work to do in the garden with him. You were made for that. Therefore, it matters what you and I do with our bodies. But if we've been taught that our bodies are inconsequential or less important or all that, then it'll be easy to be careless with them. It'll be easy to mistreat them. It'll be easy to just be led by them rather than realizing, no, this matters. You and I are fearfully and wonderfully made, including our bodies. And so this this was revolutionary. Many people did not understand this about their bodies. And when you and I begin to see this, we can say, God, I don't know if I've ever thanked you before for my body. But let me know in my, the depth of my being that my body matters. It matters to you and it was made for a glorious purpose. The second thing is, though, is that our body will be resurrected like Christ. Some of us go, well, man, my body's getting older. It's going to die. Therefore, it can't be that important. No, no, no. You need to know that actually your body is not going to be destroyed. You notice in verse 13, it says they'll both be destroyed. You know, our body, our stomach will be destroyed. Our body, what he's saying is, no, that's not true. You'll be raised like Christ. Verse 14 says that. Now, here's what I want to say to you. Paul will talk a lot more about the resurrection of the body. Which, by the way, if you've ever read any of the creeds, you'll, you'll read sometimes a creed that says, I believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. When he came back, he showed them his pierced marks. That's, it, was, it was not the same body exactly had been glorified, but it was the essence of his same body that he had walked the roads with. It's just an amazing mystery. Uh, But again, 1 Corinthians 15, we'll go into more depth of that when we get to that later in the letter. But notice what John MacArthur says. He says, our bodies are designed not only to serve in this life, but in the life to come. They will be changed bodies, resurrected bodies, glorified bodies, heavenly bodies, but they will still be our own bodies. Sometimes people say to me, Jeff, will I be able to recognize my loved one in heaven? Yes, because the essence of how God made them in a body will still be recognizable. Isn't that an amen? So the third thing here is that our body's members are members of Christ himself. Our body's members are members of Christ himself. This is a radical idea because he had already talked about how each one of us is a member of the body of Christ. When we become born again, we are born into a family or into the body of Christ. So we are the earthly body of Christ corporately. He's talked about that back in chapter three. Now he says, but you need to know as a follower of Christ, every part of your body is members of Christ. In other words, that he, he, he wants your body so that you and he can do life together. 
I mean, just if you could imagine looking at what your hands and your feet and your eyes and your face can mean to someone using your arms, your legs, whatever part, just using that to the glory of God. These are members of Christ. And that leads us to this next part. Our body is a temple where the Holy Spirit lives. I told you that there was temples all over Corinth, but they weren't meant for that. They, they pictured all of these gods that they could control. But our God was willing to come, and he considers our bodies so important that he is now willing to dwell in them. Could you imagine if he came and he went, ugh, I don't, I don't like that one. I'm not going to live in that one. No, he says, no. I made that body. Now I can actually fulfill the purpose of that person by being in that person where now they become a worshiper of me, but also they have my presence wherever they go. Do you realize that if you are a follower of Christ, you are a presence carrier of the most high God? That means wherever you and I go, long after this service is over, when you're miles from a church building, friends, What you do with your temple matters. And therefore, you can actually be a person. You may say, well, my job, my workplace is a disaster. I say, you can bring the presence of God there. I'm in a school where parents and families are breaking down. You can bring the presence of Christ there. I'm in a family situation where my spouse doesn't believe. You can bring the presence of God there. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. and You're not just some kind of being that floats around. You're a body. You're a whole person. And he loves your body. And he wants to honor your body with his very presence. Therefore, be careful what you do with your body. He doesn't want you to destroy your body or cut your body or misuse your body. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Take care of it. I read years ago about Robert Murray McShane, who was a pastor in Scotland, who, a powerful preacher, but he died at 29. And as he was dying, he said, I did not take care of the horse God gave me to ride. And as he looked back, he realized that he had made so much of everything, but he hadn't respected what God said about his body. There, there was something he could have done. Sometimes there's not things we can do, but he realized that for him, it was a stewardship issue. And you and I have that opportunity too, if we realize how glorious this is. The fifth thing is that our body is not our own. It belongs to the Lord. He says that in verse 20, our body is not our own. This again, is is this sound different than what we hear in the United States all the time? Your body is yours. You can do whatever you want with it. And friends, again, please hear me. This, This is not a message to unbelievers. But if there is anyone here that's yet to come to Jesus, let me just tell you that what he has in store for you is he's going to ask for your body as well as your whole life. But he has such a better purpose for it than you and I do. He doesn't use people like we use people. He uses people in glorious ways. And so, powerful thing. It's not your own. Notice this. This is where some of us begin to resist. This is where some of us go, well, okay, some of the time or most of the time, but like there's some times that I actually want to have my body to whatever I want to do. And that's what some of these Corinthians were beginning to do. They were saying, hey, isn't freedom in Christ mean now I can do whatever I want with my body? He says, well, then first of all, you just need to know that when Christ gave his body entirely for you, 
He did so because he's asking you to give all of yourself, including your body, to him. So now it's his. Remember communion? He said, this is my body, broken for you, given for you. Every time you eat this, remember what I did with my body. And as you put this into your body, let's do this together. Your body is mine, but I have glorious purposes for it. This last one is our body is made to glorify and honor God now. Our body is made to glorify and honor God now. So Paul is saying, look, once you understand what God made your body for, then you can see any kind of deviation from that is never going to get you where you think it's going to get you. You need to understand that you're aiming low. I'm calling you up. I'm calling you higher because it is possible to live in the city of Corinth a new way. There's a better way to live in Corinth than just doing what everybody else in Corinth is doing. And I, and I know, Paul says, that the message is that, that the evil one uses through other human beings is powerful. And therefore, you're going to find yourself rationalizing. And when you find yourself rationalizing or justifying or saying, look, I have the right to do anything I want. You know, the body for the stomach, stomach for the food. You know what? He says, be careful. Because at that point, remember, remember, remember. And don't rationalize. Humble yourself. Yield yourself freshly to God. And when you find yourself stumbling or failing, come back, come back to this glorious plan because that's where God wants to take you. And if you will, you won't regret it in the end. No matter how many people make fun of you now, you'll see that you were made for something bigger and better. And so that, that's the vision. Now here's what I want you to see is that part of what's going on is they were believing false ideas, lies, They wouldn't have called them lies because everything in the culture told them there was enough truth to it. So some of what they were saying is this. They were saying, look, the reason God gave me a body is so that I can do whatever my body wants. And my body, wasn't my body made for sex? And so that becomes a question. my, My body has needs and therefore I should fulfill them, right? Now, here's, here's something I want to say to you. I don't know if anybody's ever presented this to you, but I want to just put it on the table. You can think about it some more. Sex is not a need. It's a want. It's a want that God has given in many ways for us to experience, but inside a certain context. And the reason I bring this up is because in our culture, we're told that I have a need and therefore I need to fulfill it. But let me just ask you this. Can you live without eating? For a while. But is that a basic need we all have? Yes. Can you live without water? For a while. Can you live without air? Only for a short period of time. Could you live your whole life without ever experiencing sex? You know, some of us go, no! But you know what the truth is? Yes, there are people that can. And it just shows that we just have to be careful of not confusing our needs and wants and understanding that it could be a good thing, but it's not a have-to thing. And I say this carefully because, friends, some of us manipulate our loved ones or other people by saying, I need this, and if you love me, you will meet my need. 
Even Christian books have sometimes called it his needs, her needs. Friends, just be aware that it is a desire, it is a want, and therefore it does not have to be satisfied like we think just because we say so. But here's the other thing they were saying is sex is just physical. Paul, I can stop by the temple like I used to on the way home because I'm just meeting my body's appetites and needs. And he's going, well, what you don't understand is that sex is not just physical. This is why, whether you've had an inappropriate, appropriate, wanted or unwanted sexual touch, it stays with you long after that has happened. There is something about us that when our bodies get involved in sex, it's not just our bodies that get involved in sex. To whatever degree of sex we get involved in, and so we just have to understand these. So this is so powerful. So uh, again, uh, let me just ask you, if you would, uh, to look at verses 15 through 17. Do you see when he says this? He says, do you not know that your members, your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take, that word there, take, if you're reading that, there in verse 15, literally means to wrench away almost with violence. In other words, should I take the members of Christ, okay, away like this, away from where, they, from where he would normally take them, and shall I unite them with a prostitute? Now, people are going, what, what are you talking about unite? I'm just sleeping with a prostitute. It's just physical. He says, no, it's uniting. It's a mystery to this, but somehow you're uniting with another person on more than just a bodily level. Don't you realize that you become one body? Again, mysterious phrase here, one flesh. Be careful, be careful. So it's just a reminder to us. The second thing you see here is that he talks about fleeing sexual immorality. So what's sexual immorality? If you're following along, the Greek word there that that Paul uses and that Jesus also uses is porneia. Pornea. Does that sound like any word we use in our language today? Pornography. Okay. So the word doesn't necessarily mean pornography. It's something much bigger than that. Uh, I've had some friends over the years that have talked with me about sexual immorality. And they say, you know, Jesus never talked about sex. And I just want to say, could I, could I just invite you to actually rethink that? Because he does but he's not obsessed on it where he talks about it like it's the unforgivable sin. And I hope no one here hears me saying that it's harder for God to forgive sex sin than it is any other sin. But there's something about sex sin that sticks to us, that affects us at a deeper level than many other things. So the question then also becomes, well, wait a second, wait a second. How come there's some stuff in the Old Testament that God says, you know, these ceremonial laws and these other things that we don't do in the New Testament? Here's the thing I want to show you. Whatever the New Testament carries over from the Old Testament is what we follow as practice, see? In other words, Jesus had an opportunity, and when he did, he said the ceremonial laws are out. But the moral law of God will never change because it's based on the moral character of our God. So Jesus, Paul, others said, porneia means all sex outside marriage of one man and one woman. Marriage between one man and one woman. Notice that this, re- that this involves premarital, extramarital, homosexual, bisexual, incestuous, bestial, Uh, sex, uh, pornography, unwanted advances, molestation, rape, 
uh, sadomasochistic expressions, all these different things that have become so popularized in our culture, and we just have to understand that was never, ever God's design for our body to practice sex in those ways. And so again, let me just remind you that the, the subject of homosexuality has come up so much more in our culture than ever before. And I have friends, I have loved ones that struggle with same-sex attraction. So friends, I want to speak about this carefully, but what I want to say is the best teaching the elders and the pastors we've ever found was what Steve mentioned last week on John Dixon. And so again, I think we may have those links. If you want to write these down, if you don't have time to write these down, you can uh, email our church office and we'll be glad to help you with these. But some of you told us you listened to these this last week. Again, we just feel like this is really an excellent way to walk through the scripture and try and be sensitive on this subject because so many families and loved ones are affected by this. And we want to be a church, friends, that whether, however people are struggling sexually, this is a place where they can find hope This is a place where we can help people know that God has a glorious plan for you and your body, and we want to help you live that out as we also face some of the same struggles. So notice this, that um, Jesus in Mark 7 actually mentions that. I won't list that on the screen right now, but know this, that this brings challenge. (laughs) Uh, When I was a youth pastor, one of the popular questions was, how far is too far? And this whole idea is kind of a backwards question. In other words, how can I still use my freedom to do what I want and still follow Jesus? Do you hear what I'm saying? There's a rationalizing that starts to creep up. I found it myself when I was a teenager and people still to this day. And man, I'm telling you, the access to sex now at an earlier age is out there. But I remember this story being told me by one of my mentors. The story is told about a stagecoach company that was hiring teamsters to drive its stagecoaches through a mountainous area. The local office manager had asked advertised for the position, and people began to apply for the job. As they were interviewed, the boss asked each applicant, how close can you drive the team to the edge of the cliff as you round the mountain? The first fellow replied that he was skilled enough that he could drive the stagecoach within three feet of the edge of the cliff. The boss thanked him for his time and called in the next applicant. In the course of the interview, the boss asked the next man the same question. He replied that he could drive the team and the coach within one foot of the edge of the cliff. He likewise was thanked for his time, and the next applicant was called in. The boss asked this fellow the same question. He replied, I would drive the coach as far from the edge of the cliff as I possibly could. He got the job. Why? Because, friends, if you and I are regularly saying, how close can I get? How can I still do all that I want to do? We already don't have the kind of mature spirit that God's trying to grow up in us. And so this idea is something that in our culture, it's not going to be easy, and we're going to be tempted to rationalize, justify, or downplay, but this is where it takes real courage to make sure that we love Jesus more than we love our own gratifying desires. Notice the next thing is the simple counsel of the scripture is flee pornea. Flee. It hurts and hinders God's plan for us. Sometimes people say, is God against sexual immorality because it'll make us bad? Well, there's no question that some of these things can make us bad. But you know why God warns us about these things? More than just because they make us bad, they make us small. They, the glorious purpose that we are made for, we cannot live into and become the bigger, greater people that God made us to be. If we're regularly doing that, it hurts and hinders. And God says, no, I don't want you to live like that. I want you to live a larger life. Come on. 
And so, again, thinking about this, I could mention several passages of Scripture right now in 1 Thessalonians 4, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. You can read those on your own. Can I just say this? Honestly, it's not what I say that really ultimately should be what you wrestle with. It's what God says. And when I was a youth pastor, and even in the last few years, I've just said to people, would you be willing to wrestle with Scripture directly yourself? Would you have the character to do that? Would you say, God, is there any way that I'm just ignoring or blowing off or saying that's anybody's interpretation? Or do I believe this is the book, the guidebook that God can use to guide my life? And I don't want to use it on other people or weaponize it on other people. I want to let it change me. But I don't want to rationalize like I'm tempted to do. This last thing is, is anybody, by the way, anybody ready for some good news? <laughs> so what's the good news of this passage? Well, there's some great news. And here it is. Is that Jesus paid the price to redeem and restore us. There is hope. There is hope for every one of you and for me. Because of what Jesus did with his body. We may not understand what's going on, on the cross, but Jesus, when he gave his body, it was a way of saying, I totally give myself to redeem you. I am so for you. I am so for restoring God's glorious plan for your body that I will die in your place and the power of what happens the day I die on the cross and say it is finished. Something will be released from the cross that can affect your life every day. Praise his name. So I know this because I'm a pastor. Some of you, this subject is so hard to talk about because someone used their body to violate yours. Somebody molested you. Somebody raped you. Somebody confused you. And you have not been able to shake that. And so now you feel like you're too dirty or too used or too beyond hope. And the Holy Spirit is saying something to some of you right now. Is I can redeem you and I can restore you and your body can serve and glorify me yet if you'll give it to me with all your shame, with all the hurt that that person caused you. Some of you are so addicted and so caught, you wonder if there's any hope for you. There is. But it's going to mean coming out in the light. It's going to mean confessing it and calling it what God calls it. And if you're willing to do that and let him change your imagination and let him understand just that price was enough. And God, if you will put your trust in what he paid for you, God will put that to your account and he will put that in your life. And I've watched people walk away free. This is the good news. So how do we bring this home? Tim Keller says that the first century, as people watched people become new in Christ, there were two things that most pagans were struck by Christians. Their radical purity and their radical generosity. They thought, how in the world, where do they get the power to say no to sexual immorality? Where do they get the power to use their body in an honorable way? Where do they get the power to do that? Where do they get the power to give themselves away? 
Wow. And it pointed them to Jesus. And people could see the radical purity and the radical generosity. You know, he dreams of that for our church. He wants us to be people in this community that people go, wow. Where do they get the power? It's not self-righteousness. It's purity. They really do want Jesus more than they want their own gratification. They really do want to be generous and give from a heart that loves. Where do they get that? And so here's two questions. If you want to be one of those kind of people that use your body for God's glorious plan gratefully, is first, are you willing to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, where am I rationalizing and not fleeing? Where am I rationalizing and not fleeing? And the second question is, how can I serve and glorify you in this body of yours? So this idea of fleeing, this idea, you know, fleeing, you know what fleeing means? Right that? Joseph ran instead of sticking around. Solomon told his son in Proverbs, don't go anywhere near those places don't, don't get near, get away, get distance, get space, whatever that looks like, flee. But when sometimes you go, I can handle this. Or, you know what, God, I, I don't think you're right about this. I, I think what you're saying is out of touch. That, that's so yesterday. Whatever it might be, when that rationalization, would you be willing to say, God, I think I'm rationalizing. I think I'm rationalizing instead of surrendering. Would you help me get there with your grace? And I want to get there. It's made me talking. I appreciate there's some men in this church that talk with each other as brothers during the week and they help each other. There's some women that are helping each other do this kind of thing to honor God in the dating world and all those things. I'm so thankful. But the last question is, do you have an imagination? You know, there's times on Sundays after I get done preaching, I'm kind of tired. And so I think, you know, just what do I want to do? You know, it's just my first question still. Sometimes you can see how much God has to grow me. And he's not, he's not against us resting, but there's times where all of a sudden, God, what can I do now with my body that would glorify and serve you? You know why we teach the network class? Because now you're made to serve and glorify him and honor him. Anyway, sometimes he'll say, why don't you go to that nursing home or why don't you call that person or why don't you go? Sometimes he'll just tell me, why don't you rest your body so it'll be ready to go tomorrow? better by taking a nap, whatever it might be, but how can I serve him, his glorious plan, instead of aiming low? So now we're going to sing, as Chuck told you, and he's going to talk to you about ways that worship involves our bodies, but also, is there something he's been putting his finger on? If he has, it's not to condemn you, it's to free you, it's to show you mercy and grace, but it's up to you of whether or not you'll yield whether or not you'll offer yourself freshly to him. Let's be a church that's all in. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.